Thomas Fieldman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Uh, if they can't attend a golf tournament, then, you know, there'll have to be some major progress made in the next 45 days for fans to be in Ohio Stadium on September 5th or for there to be a game in Ohio Stadium on September 5th. Well, I was thinking about that, and you know how golf and, and a beautiful club out at Mirfield is the perfect setting for social distancing, how yep. it's set up. And yep. Ohio State football game is, the, is probably the worst place for social distancing amongst fans. Yeah, tailgating I mean, and everything else, parking oh, and everything else. The tailgating, the parking. People, yeah, it's uh, not ideal, but we're getting closer, I think. To some semblance of normalcy, Governor DeWine with uh, some good news yesterday. We discussed today on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. It is a Friday, which means we're drawing names of uh, people who will benefit from Mr. Spielman's memorabilia auctions, of which there is another going on right now. Tell us about it, sir, and good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, I'm actually fairly optimistic today because of... Uh, the news of Governor DeWine on May 1st as we slowly reopen, and I have some thoughts on that. But the new auction item up, Bruce, is 1986 Big Ten Championship ring. Fantastic. Uh, some some people call that a co-championship. It doesn't say co-champion on the ring. It doesn't. It I looked big, at it yesterday. It it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it is. It's really a, a cool piece of memorabilia, and uh, I'm really hoping it does really well. Uh, because in all honesty, I really want to stop selling my stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, in all, in, you know, I'm just being honest, you know, so I, I'm kind of hoping that this can uh, get enough money where we've reached our goal. But what do we we'll need see. to get to? What do we need to get to on the ring? When, when, um, 16? Yeah, probably 15, 16,000, which okay. I, I know is quite aspirational thinking on yep. my part, but I am an optimistic guy. I used to be a pessimistic guy. For most of my life, but I've uh, over the last year, uh, I have had a complete attitude change about things, and I'm more optimistic than I've ever been in my life, which is a great way to live, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what uh, spurred that change on. I think, you know, I stopped living life with a chip on my shoulder. In other words, I stopped living life uh, as I played, and it's been uh, beneficial for me having a chip on my shoulder when I played was beneficial, but I realized I'm not playing anymore after 54 years and being out of the game close to 20, 21 years. I don't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's, it's really cool. So hopefully uh, there'll be somebody out there that has the means to, uh, to bid on that. And then uh, we could fulfill our goal and give away as a stated goal. Now we're, a few weeks, four or five weeks into this, but uh, we'll have to sit down and look at the calendar. But uh, to fulfill our goal, Bruce mm -hmm. and Chris's goal of uh, $1,000 a week for 40 weeks. Yeah, and there's definitely need out there. As we all know, we just put some numbers on it. Governor DeWine said yesterday 855,000 Ohioans have uh, filed for unemployment. Now, yeah. there are many, many, many. Having been unemployed, believe me, there comes a time where you're just like, look, this is a waste of my time. Uh, and you don't file. So I would say if 855,000 have filed, there's at least 250,000 who have not uh, or have given up, uh, run into problems, and the filing hasn't you know, gotten to the point where they can track it. So there's, I think it's safe to say, more than a million Ohioans who have been impacted by COVID-19 precautions, which he said yesterday, I'm going to start reopening the state 
uh, on May the 1st. Uh, didn't give any specific guidelines on what that will be. I think probably if your health is compromised, if you're elderly, still going to have to be careful. Uh, don't think we'll have county fairs this year. We will have the Memorial Tournament. We don't know if we'll have fans or not, but uh, it's a kind of a discover as we go, continue to evaluate the data because the data really drives the decisions that are made. Yeah. And I think, look, they're not in, and no, no person of leadership is in an enviable position. I think it's, you're, you're, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't type yep. thing because there's two sides of, like everything, there's two sides to, to look at it. I, I think uh, if I were to advise or somebody would ask my advice uh, with the Governor DeWine or uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted, I would say this. I would say, I do think that you have to put faith in people that they will, for the most part, now you obviously have people out there that aren't very bright or tend to be just idiotic behavior, mm-hmm. will, re- will act responsibly and understand whether, you know, I'm, I'm confused on the mask thing because I, I'm, I, want you, I wanted you to ask your doctor friend what he thought about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. I did I ask him so- that last night, in fact. Well, you know, good. I said, we'll are we answer. going to have to wear masks? And he said that uh, he was at the grocery store the other day and about 25% of the people had masks. I think the percentage that I saw, I've only been out once because we've restricted it to Sherry doing all of our outside-the-home stuff and except for the period of time where she had vertigo. Uh, I thought the percentage was a lot higher, but that was hmm, 10 days ago that I was out, and I think that was kind of at the height of the fear, uh, yeah. which I don't think the fear is abated with most people. Um, but we saw Urban and Shelley on Twitter with uh, masks on. Masks will be the next great uh, economic boom in this country. I, You're going to see I, everybody wearing their school masks, and this is going to be their way of putting you know their identity out there. Is what what kind of mask you have on? What kind of yeah, stuff's advertised cool. on it? But I, I just don't know. I mean, because I hear it's a petri dish uh, for other bacteria, and I hear that uh, uh, I can't really protect you. I guess the biggest thing about the mask is that you're protecting. Uh, others, if you have an on. So what's what's uh, the doc, good doctor have to say about it? Should well, he we didn't. He didn't. We wear he, he's like you know you can, but it, it's more of a um, it's more of a peace of mind thing for you. It's more of a cosmetic. Doesn't prevent anything, basically. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it's you know it's fine if you do it. Does it help as much as people think? No, I think that's a fair assessment of it. Will I will I do it? Do I plan to do it? Um, I mean, if I have to have one on to go in Kroger, yeah, then I'll put one on. Right. If I don't have to and I'm not sick, I probably won't. Okay. If I'm on an airplane to Arizona, I might. Yes. I might, yeah. you know? Uh, those kinds of things. Closed environment. You're not going to see me out riding my bike with a mask on. Okay. Some people take it to a ludicrous extent. They're out in the middle of, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to criticize anyone, but if you're right. out in the fresh air and you're, you know, a hundred feet from somebody, you don't need a mask on. Right. Just don't. You're walking okay. at the park. There are no surfaces for your germs to land on. There's no one for your, you can't breathe on anybody. I mean, it's not necessary. But don't take my medical advice. I mean, do what you want. No, do what gives you peace no. of mind. Well, I think that's the thing. I think that there's a common sense 
factor here. And I, and I was going to say that I, I do think that people will be responsible. Um, obviously, you're not everybody will forget or I don't think anybody's out there uh, trying to spread COVID-19 if they're asymptomatic or whatever the case may be. But uh, I was just, you know, thinking about President Trump or Governor DeWine or all the governors or positions of leadership and the responsibility that they have in understanding the dangers that are in place, not only the dangers of reopening our economy statewide, just speaking for the state of Ohio, but also the dangers of keeping it closed. And the amount, you know, the thing that we were touched on the other day that really bothers me to no end, and it just it hurts my heart, is the amount of the domestic abuse yeah. uh, cases that are going up. I mean, it just destroys me inside. I, I don't know why I get so angry at that. I think it's because it's such an unfair fight if uh, yeah. there's domestic domestic violence. And that's something that's always been, not that, in my family or I don't have any experience with that, but I just read stories that just, that thing is really close to my heart. So that might be my next, who knows, my next uh, venture that I get into to try to help out as we move out of this thing. So, um, but I think for, from uh, the governor's point of view, you know, I read people that praise him for opening up the economy then this is so unfair when people say this, and this is just off Twitter. But you know, Twitter is—it's mm-hmm. it, not—it's not science, but it's—it's—it is somewhat real life because people express their thoughts. And you know, I, I was reading more than ten or twenty of these where Mike DeWine and Husted and Dr. Acton are going to have blood on their hands if they reopen the economy. That's not fair, and it's no, not it's true. Not, it's not—it's not fair. You not know? fair at all. And, and or vice versa, they would have blood on their hands if they didn't open up the economy. So I think the smart thing to do, and I think the presidential guidelines, the phases that were presented yesterday by President Trump, they make sense. They make common sense. And we just have to be smart and be aware. And we start, we still are a, a land of liberty and civil rights. And you just have to take that responsibility seriously. And if there's certain things you have to sacrifice, I'm not talking about sacrificing your liberties, but wearing it, like you said, if it requires us to wear a mask going into Kroger, then put a mask on. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. Then take it off when you, when, whenever you want. So just, and for me, like my mother-in-law, Stephanie's mom is 85 years old. My wife's, my in-laws in Youngstown are 84 years old. I mean, if, if I go to visit them, I'm going to do the outside thing where I'm sitting 10 feet apart from them and have a conversation with them. I'm not going to put anybody at risk. And I think if we everybody does that, uh, I think we'll get through this sooner than later. And if we do it smart, and I think our sports will get started sooner than later. Fantastic. We have the Memorial Tournament. will be in mid-July. That has been confirmed. Uh, NBA is optimistic about starting. Major League Baseball will probably start and start in stadiums without fans. College football... Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame AD, uh, not open to the idea of having an entire season without fans. We'll get to that momentarily. But first, let's draw our names for our winners of uh, COVID-19 relief. Uh, now, do you want to draw five names today? Because we have our friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters are contributing well, 300 bucks. I know they haven't sent it to you yet because that's my bad. I didn't uh, tell them to send it to you, but I will. 
I I mean, um, I four know, names. <laughs> that three hundred bucks helps me get to that forty thousand. Right. You know, every, every it'll month. be there. Don't worry. You're gonna. <laughs> you want more coffee? I'll get you more coffee okay. and a check. Okay. I whatever you want to do. All right, let's do four names right. today. Let's do four names okay. today, and then when hemispheres uh, gets direction from me, because it's certainly not their fault. It's my fault. Uh, we'll do another name next week. So here we go. Our first name today, two hundred and fifty dollars, goes to Justin Tony. Justin nominates his brother-in-law Ryan, who is an over-the-road trucker with twins mm. at home. Wow. So we've talked about our gratefulness toward our truckers who keep America running, and um, he's away from home. So there you go. Great, fantastic. Where, uh, where are they from, Bruce? I don't. I don't have that on the card. I'll have to go back to the email and look it up. Okay. I'm still refining my system here. I've got. Uh, <laughs> system now that I think I can track people more immediately when we draw their names. Uh, but I don't have all the names in the hat because there's well over 100 names in the hat. Uh, I mean, I, I have them all in the hat. I don't have them all tracked as well as I will. Uh, second name, Barry Yeeter. Barry Yeeter, who is nominating his daughter's roommates, Becca and Hannah. Okay, so um, I'll go back and try to find their story. Uh, but they are our second, our second recipient. Our third recipient is Alyssa Domro. Alyssa Domro is nominating her grandson Owen Sparks, and here's the nomination in email. Uh, Owen is 17 years old; he'll be 18 in July. He graduated as a junior in 2019 and started his college career, but had to put it on hold. I'm his grandmother, raised him his whole life. Uh, I've developed several medical issues, been out of work since January, two surgeries since then, knee replacement. Uh. She goes into how much uh, she gets no child support from either parent. Owen is a great young man, never complains about paying the bills and giving up his paychecks. Oh, man. His sister was working part-time but lost her job due to COVID-19. Owen works hard as an organic farmer. I'm proud of doing everything uh, most 17-year-old men wouldn't give a thought to. These days, she says her job is closed because of COVID-19, so definitely a need there. So, Alyssa, you got a check coming or at least uh, an electronic means of accessing $250 for your grandson, That's Owen awesome. Sparks. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And our Good final job, name our final name is Alicia Gilmore. Alicia Gilmore is nominating the Baker family. She says, thank you for this opportunity. I nominate the Baker family. Uh, husband, wife, three children. Husband works at uh, a trailer company. Two of his three children have been hospitalized three times for respiratory problems. He took time off work to be in the hospital with the kids. Mom is a stay-at-home mom. She was laid off because of the coronavirus. So she says, please consider helping this family. Consider it done. Alicia. Wow. Baker family turned $50. So there you go. There are no bad stories in any of I mean, they're... They're all bad in terms of the need, but there are no stories where you go, well, maybe they, you know, that maybe they shouldn't have been nominated. Yeah. They're all worthy of being nominated. And how cool is it of people to recognize people in need? Like, it, it's a biblical story, right? It's like mm -hmm. you, you're you're walking down the, uh, you're you're walking through Jerusalem, and there's a beggar over there, or whatever the case may be, and you look at the guy with sympathy, and you say, all right. 
Good luck. Stay yeah. healthy. Hope you get it something. I wish I could help you. Or then you're walking down. The other guy's walking down the street in Jerusalem, and he looks over there, and he recognizes uh, need, but he actually gives the beggar something he can use in need, right? You know what exactly. I mean? So exactly. taking action. It's one thing to recognize and have sympathy for people in the need. It's another thing to recognize and have sympathy than to take action. That's the beautiful thing when people take action. And it's not action uh, like the memorabilia helps, uh, helps you and I uh, take monetary action, but just the act of nominating somebody or you recognizing somebody that's taking an action, right? Yep. You agree with that? Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, let's uh, remind people that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters is the official coffee of the Spielman Hooli podcast. Uh, they import beans from Ethiopia, Thailand, Nicaragua, other countries buy direct from growers and help them out. Their coffee is phenomenal. Mr. Spielman is running out uh, because he blows through uh, whatever hemisphere sends him because it is so good. And don't forget the chocolate. The chocolate is phenomenal. And keto-friendly, too. Ask about the chocolate. So HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com is the website to order. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps to get 15% off or donate your discount to COVID-19 Relief. Just put a little note in the comments section. Hey, I heard about you on Spielman and Hooley podcast, and they'll donate 20% of the sale to COVID-19 relief, which, as I mentioned a few moments ago, has added up so far to from the loyal Spielman and Hooley listeners, uh, $300. So we thank you very much for that, for patronizing Hemisphere, and you're gaining. No reason why you shouldn't have great coffee, and uh, Hemisphere is the absolute best. My friends swear by it, and so do you. You've uh, you've become a convert to Hemisphere. Is your, are, your, are your daughters and wife uh, coffee people as well? Uh, yeah, and... That's a little irritating to me that with all these minions and spawn home and quarantine, they're drinking all my hemisphere coffee. Now, <laughs> you know, I make love them drink them. Folgers, make them drink the bad <laughs> stuff, the swill. I, 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 but hemisphere would be happy. So much for your good they... Samaritan lesson of a few yeah. moments ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, I said I got eighteen thousand pods in there. Why do you need to drink mine? <laughs> oh well progress <laughs> so, in small doses oh. actually that that would be a great commercial for hemisphere wouldn't it yeah, like, it would be it i would mean be. you can kind of kind of pan over all the pods and everybody keeps going for the hemisphere and they pass <laughs> up all the name brands i mean the, the other day I, I did i actually said that seriously you what's wrong with the with the starbucks or the dunkin donuts <laughs> thing those are mine yeah all right can I have something? I mean, you know this as a father, right? I mean, you have three. Like, so imagine, yep. you know, having five daughters mm. and one, and one son. But have, but he, he's he doesn't care. You know, that's he doesn't care what he has. But the daughters, you know, just you, don't you ever wonder, Bruce? Now, be honest. When you're walking through the house and you you got a wife and daughters, do you ever say to yourself? Can't just one thing be mine? Can I just have one thing? I mean, I notice it more a... where my stuff gets misplaced. I don't really like. I'm like, where did that go? What? What happened? So, yeah. oh, dude, the favorite T-shirts that I have. I was gonna I say you've already stores. established the Hemisphere T-shirts have uh, been uh, confiscated. Confiscated. Oh, yeah. Just unbelievable. <laughs> it, it, it didn't even last two hours. 
<laughs> oh, well, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. That's the website, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Their Twitter is at HCR Coffee. We appreciate their support very much, and we appreciate their mission to help uh, growers in uh, impoverished environments. So remind, uh, remind yourself next time you want coffee, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. All right, let's get some sports here, Spiels. Hey, the Browns have new uniforms. What do you think of the Browns' new uniforms? I I don't even notice a difference. I don't either. I just I mean, and they don't have like they don't have any writing on the pants, so I guess they're not wearing yoga pants anymore. But otherwise, like, who cares? Uniforms are uniforms. You can only do so much with orange and brown. I mean, yeah, I think obviously uniforms are a big part of, of marketing, right? I yep. mean, and it gives people a chance to buy the newest jersey or whatever. I mean, we talked about the brilliant use of marketing and uniforms and alternative uniforms and what that's able to the revenue that's able to generate for a place like Ohio State. Well, the same holds true for the Blue Jackets when they have their what is it, the third third jersey, yeah. Well, with the cannon. The third the third sweater or whatever. Sweater, I'm sorry. Yeah. I said jersey. Thank you. I, you know, uh, well, my bad. Apologize to Nick yeah. Felino. <laughs> he won't knock one of your chicklets out. Don't worry. I could. Um, hope not. <laughs> but but I I to me uh you're right. What can you do with orange and brown? I mean, I, I'm not a fashion guy, but oh, that seems hard to match up. But I think the best uh, scenario for the Browns is that their their uniforms are they're like the NFL version of Penn State, right? The more simpler the Browns can yeah. be, I think, it, the better, in my my opinion. I agree. I agree. If they win, the jerseys are great. If they lose, the jerseys yeah. stink. That's pretty much yeah. the way that works. Uh, NFL draft. Speaking of the Browns, they have the 10th pick. Everybody thinks they're going to take an offensive tackle. Oz came out from behind the curtain. Paul D. Podesta had a teleconference the other day. He says they're open to trading up. They're open to trading down. So he said a lot, said nothing. I, what I found most interesting about the D. Podesta teleconference was he was describing his draft room where he has like generators and he has like multiple screens and he has this, that, and the other. And I thought, I wonder if you and Rick have talked about what Rick's IT setup is at his home. And you've mentioned he has like a lack of bandwidth in his house and he's going to go to a remote location. What's what's no, Rick Spielman's he, bunker like? They can't. They are, they're no. They all have to do it from their house. So the Vikings IT team is over there redoing his house. So everybody, I think, has to have the same amount of equipment. And so, uh, is D. Podesta doing the draft? And not the no, 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 no. Barry's got. He Barry. said Barry's got the final say. But I mean, you know, they got to go to D. Podesta to find out uh, the analytical formula and factor that into the draft. Why would D. Podesta say they're not open to trading if he's not the guy that's doing? No, it? he says they are open to trading. He says they might okay. trade up. They might trade down. But A. B. That's what he calls Andrew Barry. We'll have the final say. But again, we're all collegial and we all kumbaya around the campfire and everybody has equal input. I, I don't know. Okay. Which they've been saying for years. Yeah, I all right. So I just don't understand why he's doing it and not Barry. Well, I think because if he doesn't do it, people are like, who is this mystery man? Why does he never come out and speak? So I understand why he comes out and spoke. He just didn't say much. I don't know what he does. I still don't know what he does. All I know is I want that job. <laughs> Consultant. I, yeah. I don't know what he does. I Well, he crunches numbers and comes up with trends. And beyond what that, I can't help you. Again? Pardon? What's Chief strategy title? officer. Chief strategy yeah. officer. Okay. All right. Well, good. I, I think everybody's got to be open. But I'm, I was reading a bunch of articles this morning 
And it kind of validates, when, and Rick kind of went down this direction when I talked to him. And he shares some things with me. doesn't share a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't ask him about the possible trade. Yeah, were they trading for OBJ or not? I, he wouldn't. He wouldn't give me that. He wouldn't give it up. Okay. No, he changed the subject on me. De so. Podesta said that was totally false. Well, everything. Everybody lies during yes. this time. Yes, they do. Right? Yes, they do. I don't think anything's every everything is to, uh, off. Anything's off the table. However, I do think what you're going to see, and I think either Daniel Jeremiah or one of the writers had on today was that. The, the, the picks are going to be the safest picks. So meaning uh, you're probably – some guys are going to get drafted maybe where they shouldn't get drafted, a little higher than they should be drafted because it's safer to take a guy at that position. Mm-hmm. You might you might not get the big payoff, right? but you, you, you're going to get something that's consistent. And that's probably going to be the trend because of the, of the lack of, of timing. Maybe there's a lack of communication. Uh, you don't have pe- five people on the phone right next to you and giving you a thumbs up or, you know, because a lot of times those trades will go down to the last 10 seconds. Right, Bruce? Yep. And so I, I just think there's going to be a lot of safe picks. And I do think uh, they're going to be uh, less movement uh, than we normally see as far as trading and moving up and down. Uh, the, the interesting thing for me is where uh, Chase Young is going to go. We talk about safe picks. I mean, Chase Young is probably the safest pick in the draft just by nature of position, right? Because Joe Burrow is going to be the – we'll talk about quarterbacks next week. But yep. by, by the position, the position of quarterback, you know, if you're batting, what, 70, 60, or 70% on taking a quarterback first overall. That's and that extremely guy high. Yeah, very so, high. So even though Joe is the safest quarterback, by nature of the position, that's not the safest pick to make. Does that make sense to you? Correct. Yeah, I mean, one of these quarterbacks, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, Tua, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, somebody's going to be a superstar. Somebody's going to be a bust. A lot of times it depends on what franchise you go to and whether you land in a good spot. I mean, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen's inability to catch on in the NFL is not – all the fault of the fact that he went to Arizona and Miami and he's had different coaches and different coordinators. But some of it is that. Some of it makes it harder. So, yeah. But, I mean, Chase Young, see see football, go get football. That's kind of a simpler task. Well, it's going to be interesting because of Chase's uh, off-the-chart athletic ability, right? That's what everybody's – raving about and one thing's offensive linemen fear more than anything else is is speed you know because a lot of those guys are three i'm not i'm not exaggerating 330 to 350 playing offensive tackles so they can handle power a lot of times the the biggest issue that they have is speed now when you have speed and you can convert to power in the middle of a pass rush that's the ultimate combination and uh, then you add speed that can convert to power plus great hand usage from a pass rusher, meaning pass rush techniques with your hands, getting us hands off of you, getting that outside arm of offensive tackle down so you shorten a corner, which the Bosa's boys are, I think, I think they're the best in the league at doing that. I had a conversation with my son whose birthday was yesterday. Happy 24th, Noah. 
But I was asking him uh, this question. Out of all the NFL pass rushers, and Noah uh, worked for the Vikings for a mm-hmm. year and, and was uh, intimately involved with the draft last year, not making decisions, but scouting reports and all that stuff. I said, you tell me, and I'm trying to think of the guys that I covered this year, and this doesn't diminish uh, anybody's ability or the great numbers or the great talent that they have, but who is better than the Bosa's? And he he looked at me and he had to think and and he went right away. He went then he went to Khalil Mack, mm-hmm. which which I I said Khalil's awesome. I I gotta I gotta I gotta think that I would take the Bosa's as far as pass rushers. Now people will think I'm insane over Khalil Mack. Because both of them are just uh, a dominant force out there. And the biggest thing they have, they have all three. They do have speed. They do have power. But what sets them apart is their technique and their hands are just phenomenal. They're like karate men with their hands inside mm-hmm. and what they're able to do. So the thing I... the, 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 With Chase, can he develop that? That's the biggest question moving forward on Chase. Here's the thing that I see Nick and Joey able to do that I have not seen Chase do as much. Nick and Joey have an uncanny ability to get low, mm-hmm. but not get slow. Yeah. I mean, man, they get low coming off that edge, and they get under, and they get that arm under, and they swivel their hips, but they don't get slow <laughs> doing it. I mean, they are Amazing. they are rubber men. I mean, they are yeah. big, fast nasty rubber men. Now, Chase is fast, and he's big, but that fluidity in the hips, getting low and getting around that corner, he gets around that corner fast, and he can change direction. He can go outside and come inside. I don't know that I've seen him do that super low but super fast move around the edge, which it's all about counters. Pass rush is all about counters. Offense tackles are trying to counter you, and you're trying to counter them. So Chase is a dream for a defensive line coach, right? Because you have this raw talent, rare talent because of size and speed. And he's a great kid with a great work ethic, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's got everything you need. And so um, I think when you see that I can help this kid become even better, I think he's got a great chance at having a great career. I hope he does. But I've talked to Larry Johnson. Uh, tell the people who Larry Johnson is. Larry Johnson, is. Buckeye defensive line coach, without peer in the college game. Yeah, and so we were in Champaign, Illinois. I was going to Ohio State, Illinois game, and we were at the hotel, and I ran into him going into a meeting, not with, going into a meeting with uh, Coach Myers and uh, a couple other coaches, but Larry wasn't part of the meeting. But I wanted to speak with him, and I said, Coach, just one or two things about now, if you say about Joey, this was about Joey at the time, but you're saying the same thing about Nick because essentially they're the same player, mm-hmm. right? And what sets him apart from everything else, everybody else? Because there's something that I see that I said, I have not seen anything like this, this consistent. Uh, and he said, Chris, the, the best thing that they have, now picture this, uh, and you said it, and you, you said it eloquently, was the fact that they can stay low, but they never lose speed. But if you notice that they will play uh, with flat backs, and what I mean by that, just stand up where you are, put your, uh, bend your 
put your chest toward the floor, lean forward, and run as fast as you can. <laughs> Does that make sense? And never rise up. Doesn't and sound so, easy. So you're diminishing your the, the target of the offensive lineman, right? Mm-hmm. An offensive lineman wants to get his hands on your chest. Well, your chest is pointed toward the ground. So how's he going to get his hands on your chest? And their heads are up. Like they're, they're, it's a great, they're, they are rubber men. They're, they're like Elasto Man or, or Stretch, the Stretch Armstrong super uh, hero character thing that we had as kids. So it's the, but the fact that they play with such flat backs sets them apart from any other player that I've seen. Now, that doesn't diminish, like I said, the greatness of Khalil Mack. But I'm just saying that's such a unique quality that those guys have that cause offensive tackles those types of problems. How about uh, Von Miller, who is, by the way, tested uh, positive for COVID-19. He's resting at home and says he's fine. It's Khalil Mack, the only other name that came to mind with me was Von Miller. I mean, Von is, is, is again, is a great, great player with tremendous speed. Von is smart. He plays the run. I'm just telling you the uniqueness of the Bozas yeah. uh, and what they bring. So, But I think, like I said, of, of all the draft picks, as far as the safest by nature of by how he, the measurables, the attitude, and the nature of the position, Chase Young is probably the safest pick. And that's a compliment, by the way, <laughs> in this uh, this year's draft. Yeah, I you know how I feel. I I think Jeff Okuda is the safest because I think Jeff Okuda, and I know your hesitance with him is long longevity at a, at the cornerback position. I think Jeff Okuda is the kind of guy who can transition, as Malcolm Jenkins did, from corner to safety. And I think right. Jeff Okuda is going to be a highly, highly, highly productive NFL player for a decade. I really do. I like Chase Young, do. to me, um, has everything you've said. I just... I wonder, it's it's always risky to assume a guy can adjust. And uh, maybe because I can't get Vernon Golston out of my head, although I know Chase is a much different player than Vernon. Oh, yeah. It's not, it, they're just different guys. Yeah. And, the, and, and Vernon, they tried to make Vernon a different player in the NFL than he was at the college level. They tried to get him to drop into coverage. Like, they denied him his ability to do the thing he did best. Uh, but I've seen it many times, uh, I don't think anybody's going to ask Chase to change positions the way the Browns asked Barkevius Mingo to change sides and, you know, play up as opposed to playing down. Chase Young, if they just don't mess with him, I agree with you. He's Chase Young's not going to be a bust. But if you're looking for Chase Young to be a 12-sack, 14-sack-a-year guy, you're going to get eight sacks out of Chase Young. I mean, you well, just are. At worst, you're going to. Here's uh, you. You make a great point about don't mess with him. You don't change what he does. You enhance what he does. And if you do that, you'll be fine. The the, the question mark that I have on, on Jeff, and this is the question mark um, that I talked with a, a media draft analyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't put Rick in a in a position of asking what he thinks about certain guys, but this is a media analyst, and it's kind of how I feel. And this is why I didn't say Jeff Akuda. Now. I preface it by saying, you know my love for corners and how important they are in this game. Mm-hmm. I think we'll um, – I'll tell you what, what prediction that I have. But my uh, – with, with, with that position, it's a big learning curve the first year, mm-hmm. Bruce. It is a huge learning curve. Uh, you talk to Mike Zimmer, who's a corner, quote-unquote, guru. Mike Zimmer being the head coach of the 
Vikings and, of course, what Mike did down in Cincinnati and Dallas as a defensive coordinator. But he's considered a corner-slash-defensive back guru. And it takes corners a year to learn how to play in the NFL. And because of the talent that you're playing against, right? You, you, uh, who's the uh, uh, new Hopkins, uh, new the guy that just got traded from the Texans? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Cardinals. I mean, you know, these guys are so good. They're crazy. Yeah, they're crazy they're, good. Yeah. It's, I mean, compared to college receivers and the best of the best in the NFL, it's not even close. Now, there's potential there, and those guys obviously turn into those guys with great work ethic and learning how to run out, run routes. But I was just watching a little bit of a highlight film on, on Hopkins and his route running ability mm. and his size and his speed. So it, and the other thing, and I think Jeff has this, I don't know Jeff personally, I just know what people tell me about him, is that that position, you better be mentally tough. If you're not mentally tough and understand that a guy might catch 10 passes on you, but when it comes down to the fourth quarter, which most NFL games do, and you defend that one that's a game winner or a game loser, you win the day. You know what I mean? Yep. You win the day. And I think Jeff has that mentality. So, But it's it just takes a little bit longer, I think, to learn. And Jeff has all the tools, but to learn how to play that position. And this will be an adjustment for Chase, for Jeff, for all these guys. But in particular, in Jeff's case, at corner, when you're talking about guys like New Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald and on and on and on and on, how many guys like that? How many guys did Jeff play against last year who in five years will still be in the NFL? Probably T. Higgins. Maybe. Uh, Justin yeah. Ross. Maybe K.J. Hamler. Uh Anybody from Wisconsin? Yeah, there might be a guy from Wisconsin. Uh, uh, no. Michigan, eh, maybe. Donovan no. Peoples-Jones, uh, that's that's debatable. I'm not so, saying they're not NFL guys. They're not those guys. They're not. Yeah, so that's just what I'm saying is it's such a premium position because when you make – I mean, Chase Young makes a mistake, it's a 15-yard gain. There are guys behind him. Corner, there's nobody behind you. Rarely a guy behind you. If you make a mistake, it's six points usually. So that's why the learning curve is is so big and because the jump from – and you talked about this at linebacker. When you went into the NFL, you couldn't believe that offensive linemen could play together as a unit and be as big and as fast and as nimble as they were compared to what you saw in college. Well, the, the difference, okay, for a corner, it takes a corner a year to adjust. That doesn't mean he's not going to have success, but for him to reach his full, full potential. For me, at a linebacker, it took me a preseason, not because I'm anything special. It's just the nature of the position. And as you said, when a corner makes a mistake, it's either a first down or it's a touchdown. Mm -hmm. When I made a mistake, it was a seven-yard game instead of a two-yard game. Yeah. So, so the stakes are higher, obviously, but the nature of the position, and there's so many nuances that nobody knows about when you play corner. And for example, a guy that I'm a fan of, and you know, he makes plays and he doesn't, he didn't make plays, but it's Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman is not the most gifted athletic guy in the world, but he's probably the smartest guy out there. And so he understands body position of wide receivers. He understands splits. He understands route combinations. 
So he puts that all in his mind before a play starts. And by process of elimination, he is able to determine what routes are possible that this receiver run or is running, which allows him to play a little bit faster than his time speed uh, based on all that information that he processes before the play starts. Now, that just doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's, that's just a, something that you constantly have to work on not only uh, on the field, but in the film room. And you have to have a great defensive back coach and a great corner coach to help you decipher all that information to help you play faster by process of elimination. So there are a lot of elements to the draft that we uh, will get into next week. The quarterback ratings, uh, what the Lions are going to do at three as Chris does Lions games on uh, and the, the draft in the preseason right. and the draft. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, – the other Ohio State players in this draft, and there are a lot of them. Uh, who do we think will be the best pro? K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, Robert Landers, Devon Hamilton, Malik Hooker, uh, Ben Victor, just Malik, some of those. Nah, not Malik, Malik Harrison? You Malik know? Harrison, Malik Harrison, Malik Harrison, yeah. Malik Hooker, I would take him. He, he's probably going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Since he's been pretty good already. Malik Harrison, yes, sorry about that. Uh, but uh, we wanted to uh, re- – well, let's first of all, let's revisit what we talked about earlier in the podcast. Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director. Mike Pence, the vice president, had a conference call with conference commissioners talking about restarting sports, what do the college people need, what are the college people's concerns. We've had a lot of people talk about a college football season without fans in the stands. I talked to you last week after – uh, getting the chance to ask Gene Smith a question on a teleconference. Gene talked about it's a 5 to $7 million hit in net revenue for Ohio State if they don't have fans at games. That's significant. That adds up over a course of a season to about the same amount of money as the TV contract, so the TV contract won't pay for everything like some people seem to assume that it will. Uh, Gene posed the scenario I think a lot of people common sense-wise look at, which is, well, wait a minute, if it's not safe for fans to be in the stands, how are we gonna, how's that going to look? If we have players, it's not safe for fans. Swarbrick, Notre Dame AD, so a guy with power, says not interested in playing an entire season without fans, maybe a game or two, but not interested. And, you know, he also voiced concerns about this has to be a national decision because you can't have the SEC playing if the Pac-12 can't play and the Big Ten playing if the Big 12 can't play and all that. Uh, your thoughts on college football without fans in the stands and Swarbrick's comments? I mean, I think you have to have college football uh, one way or another uh, because of the amount of revenue that's generated. I do think it's healthy uh, that people have college football to watch on Saturdays to starting to get back to some sense of normalcy. But obviously, as you and we all think that there's got to, if there's a safe way to do it, there's got to be some form of college football, in my opinion, because of the financial ramifications. I think all the players and coaches would want to play a season. If we took a blind survey, what do you think the percentage would be you guys want to just sit this year out or would you play without fans? And by the way, we all have to live in the same dorm. There's got to be complete a lot of testing every week or whatever the safest way possible. Uh, I think it would be beneficial to have college football with or without fans. And I do think that if we took a survey, Bruce, I bet you that survey would be 95% let's play amongst coaches and players. Yeah, 
I think so. I think uh, moving it to the spring, as I've said, is problematic. I do think playing without fans for a whole season is is really hard. I just I think there'll be presidents who will push back on if if the students are on campus, then I think it's possible. If the students are not on campus, I don't see presidents agreeing to it. What are you doing? Are you making coffee? I hear you yeah, futzing I'm, I'm around sorry. there with your. Uh... I'm trying to get the last sip of the hemisphere in, and my <laughs> wife hasn't been up yet. She's arm wrestling you a, for it? To fetch me another cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, so, I got to make sure nobody heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I just don't see. Here's the other thing I've covered spring practice in Ohio Stadium when they're doing a scrimmage with no fans. It is so weird. It is so weird to be in that big, huge stadium and have football going on with no fans. I mean, I it's think, just yeah. weird. I, but I think that the, the television ratings would be through the roof. Oh, of the course NFL. they would be. But they already are. You, they already are through the roof. Do you think NFL's uh, going to play or would play with no fans? Yes, I think the NFL really? would. <laughs> yes, I do. Here's the other thing. I mean, you could sell tickets. Uh, this would be a problem for college. I don't have any idea on an NFL team. Like, what percentage of their ticket sales are season tickets? I mean, if it's if it's sixty if it's sixty percent, then you just let your season ticket holders go and you space them out in the stadium so you can make the argument that you're social distancing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. College I football, I think the season tickets are about 90%, maybe more, at a place like Ohio State. Yeah. So, we'll stand by. Lot, maybe there's a lottery or – I mean, we all have to make adjustments. Yeah. But I, I, I – you know, and obviously I'm a, a fan of college football. I think uh, if there's not college football or college basketball, whatever the case may be, I mean, we already saw the. I thought UC University of Cincinnati had to cancel their men's soccer they did. program. They did. We're going to see more of that. And and so I mean, again, at at what point is is the 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 cure worse than the the disease itself? Yeah. So, but I also think there's going to be advances made, and I'm optimistic advances made in either treatments. Or a vaccine. I think we're going to have a vaccine quicker than anticipated. Uh, I just believe that. I, I don't know how or why, but I think there's really smart people focused on one um, big problem. And when you have that many people focused on one big problem that are really bright and uh, innovative, I think there is can be some type of solution or some type of treatment. Uh, I think if the social distancing and we continue to flatten the curve, as they say, uh, then we'll, we'll, I think, get a little bit more liberal in our things that we decide to open up. And I also believe in people as a whole uh, that they will be responsible, not only for themselves, but they'll be responsible as much as they can and can control what they can control toward their fellow citizens. That's, that's what I choose to believe. And I think we're heading that direction. Get your nominations in for COVID-19 relief. Spielman Hooley podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter at we tackle, follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, our four winners today, 
these are the people whose names we drew, and they all have people they nominated to uh, get the $250. Alicia Gilmore, Alyssa Domro, Barry Yeeter, and Justin Tony. So get those nominations in as we're going to go for uh, 36, I think, more weeks, giving $1,000 away every uh, Friday, thanks to Mr. Spielman's memorabilia auctions. And there is a memorabilia auction going on right now on eBay for his 1986 Big Ten Championship ring. Buy your coffee from HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. They'll contribute to our fund as well, and you'll get great coffee, which Spiels is enjoying right now. Now, I wanted to address one thing the other day. We talked about Chris Holtman and uh, evaluating Chris Holtman. And I thought to myself, well, uh, why don't you dig into the records, Bruce, of all the coaches who were hired the same year as Chris Holtman and put some numbers to this. Let's find out how well he's done relative to the guys who got hired that same offseason, 2017-18. Yeah. Three years. Let's evaluate all the guys. There were 40. Wait, Go ahead. I, I just want you to, re- I mean, because I know we're getting new listeners to the podcast. Yes. And it's nationwide, so tell the people who Chris Holtman is. Chris Holtman is Ohio State's basketball coach. There you go. Thank you. Wow, you think people don't know who Chris Holtman is? Well, somebody I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that's sad if that's the case. Somebody listening in Idaho doesn't know who Chris Holtman is. Yeah, that's true. So, and by the way, so, we, are sending, we are sending COVID-19 relief to all states. What, North Carolina, California? We've had Colorado, all, Minnesota. Colorado, Minnesota, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Our buddy Dan is up in Minnesota. All right. So Chris Holtman, Ohio State basketball coach, he was hired in June of 2017. He inherited a program from Thad Mata that had not been in the NCAA tournament for two consecutive seasons, but it was an above 500 program. Uh, so how has he done? So 46 coaches were hired uh, that offseason. 46. Uh, five of them have better winning percentages than Chris Holtman, who is 66 and 34. So his is easy to figure, 660 winning percentage. The five who have better winning percentages than him, uh, a guy at New Mexico State, Chris Jans, who was fired at Bowling Green for a bar incident. So I don't think you want him. Uh, Bob Ritchie at Furman. Brian Dutcher at San Diego State. Will Wade at LSU, who you can listen to on FBI wiretaps bidding for players. And, and Joe Pasternak from Cal Santa Barbara. Okay, so those are the five. Uh, Anthony Grant at Dayton is, has a better winning percentage, uh, but like Dutcher at San Diego State, that's largely a factor of one great year, 29-2 for Anthony Grant, 30-2 for uh, Brian Dutcher. Here's, if I'm Chris Holtman, here's the card I throw on the table. 46 coaches hired the summer I was hired. I was hired last, so I got less time to remake my program than anybody because you remember they hired Thad and or they fired Thad in June. Right. Chris Holtman is one of two coaches who've gotten his team in the NCAA tournament both years there was an NCAA tournament. Okay? One of two. He's the only one who's won a game and he's won a game both years. That's the card I'd throw on the table if I'm Chris Holtman. Well, Chris said himself, <clears throat> the record will tell me how, how I'm doing. Yeah. And Chris Holtman has you to thank, and you should email that to him. So the next time he gets that question, he can say, Buckeye Homer. <laughs> Buckeye Homer, Bruce Hooley. Buckeye basketball <laughs> Homer, Bruce Hooley. Yeah, says true. I'm doing a great job. <laughs> That's the beauty of you. 
no, I mean, you, when you have the journalistic skill that you do and, and the investigative skill that you do, and you have passion about Buckeye basketball, which everybody that knows you uh, is is true, and when you can, when the facts point to something good, I think that's tremendous. I think that would be the number one thing if I were renegotiating my deal. Uh, here's my research, thanks to Bruce Uli, who's better. Than me. So then, so a lot of these guys are hired at, you know, East, the East Westchester North stars. I mean, obviously they're changing jobs all over the place, uh, but comparable size jobs. There's eight guys who got hired in the power five, including Holtman in that summer of 2017. So I thought, all right, let's compare him to these guys and how he's doing compared to these guys. Uh, Quanzo Martin of Missouri, NC State hired a coach. Illinois hired Brad Underwood. Indiana hired Archie Miller. Oklahoma State, LSU, Washington, also all hired coaches. Holtman is the only one of that group to get his team in the NCAA tournament both years. He is the he is one of two who've had his team above 500 in their league two out of three years. The other is Will Wade, the aforementioned star of the FBI wiretaps. Um, so Archie like Miller. A, a special on, on. Oh, he's on HBO. He's all over that. He and Sean Miller are all over that uh, FBI wiretap. So Archie Miller's not gotten Indiana in the tournament yet. Uh, Brad Underwood's not gotten Illinois in the, in the tournament yet. He would have this year, but Holtman would have this year too. So he'd be three for three. Underwood would be one for three. Uh, so, I think by those accounts, we can say Chris Holtman's done a really good job. A really good job. Mm-hmm. However, he can't continue to be uh, elite, and he is elite right now among those guys. Ohio State basketball needs to continue to get better and build for him to remain elite. I think there's more work to do, and he said that the other day. He said, look, man. I'm happy with where we are, but we got more work to do. Yeah, I mean, he's he's set the standard. Now the standard has to be raised because of the standard that he set. And, you know, of course, I'll take it uh, back to, to football where, you know, Coach Woody Hayes set a standard, Earl Bruce set a standard, John Cooper tried to raise that standard, Coach Trussell tried to raise that standard, Urban raised the standard. Now Ryan Day as difficult and as daunting as it may seem, you know, that's who he's got to compare himself with, right? He's got to try to yep. outdo Urban Meyer. If he does not try to do that, or if Chris, Coach Holtman doesn't try to do that, then he's doing the university and his players a disservice. But knowing all those guys, all those guys that I mentioned, they understand, as Chris Holtman does, uh, what it is to when you the responsibility you have when you're a head coach of football or men's basketball at Ohio State, it just that's just the way it is, and that's what we all want. And thank goodness for that. I would think. Yep. I mean, I, I have not met a coach that coaches at a difficult place, right, where winning is premium, right, that has not said that they don't appreciate. Uh, that fans care about winning. They know it can be a pain in the rear end. They know it's difficult. 
but they all appreciate the fact that their fans are passionate about winning. They want to coach at places like that. Is that you know, as without question. To, yeah, without and, question. And like for example, a guy that's a great coach is in is uh, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and Pat will sit there and say, you know, he he wants to win every game, obviously, but he says, look, if I'm eight and four seven and five and get to a bowl game every year i got a job for life yes he does <laughs> same at purdue same at indiana same at iowa obviously it's the same at iowa uh so yeah but that's not cutting it here well so. it shouldn't either because of the standard and the tools that these guys are given to work with that's right right and for years you and i i don't know where you always stood on this but you and i argued not argued, but said that, look, the the Ohio State basketball standard should be what it is for football because it's Ohio State, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't either. I I, I do. Th- here's the different. There are nuances to it. Like I think, first of sure. all, the league, the competition in the league is much tougher across the board in basketball than it is in football. I think the in-state talent is not nearly as good in basketball as it is in football. Uh, I think the recruiting reach nationally is bigger in football because Ohio State's a national name in football and hasn't been in basketball. But you can build it into that. So, yeah. But, I mean, look, Chris Holtman needs to be getting his team into the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and then he'll stay where he is. But right now, for anybody to say, well, three guys transferred and they're top 100 recruits. And, man, what's going on with this guy's program? I mean, you're just not looking at the numbers, dude. He inherited a program that was down. He got it up immediately. He's kept it up. And, you know, why are you banging on the guy before you're worrying about something that hasn't happened yet? (laughs) Like, you know, uh, and there's a reason why guys transfer. It just is. Isn't it safe to say uh, you, you make a great point? Like, I'm thinking about Ohio State recruiting basketball. It's it's more of a regional recruitment program is, as yeah. opposed to where the football program is nationwide. Nationwide. Right? Anybody you want. You're getting anybody you and, want. And for the most part, Ohio State recruits regionally. It doesn't because Duke is an example of a basketball school that recruits nationally. Yep. Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. Yeah. Yep. They're national reach. Those guys have national reach where they can go into California and get a kid or Texas and bring a kid out of Texas to, to Duke or, or wherever the, that case may be. But for Ohio State, you know, you, you, you might get a, a transfer from Florida or you might get a, a kid from Europe now and then. But, you know, chances are the best kid from Europe is probably already playing professionally Correct. by the time you get, get your hands on them. So, anyway. All right, sir. Today. We've come to that portion of the podcast where we transition into the faith aspect. Uh, what would you have for us today in that regard? Well, uh, I am a big fan, I think you knew this, of C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And I read something and looking through and doing a little praying and thinking today like I do every morning. Uh, something that he wrote and quoted that I thought was uh, very wise for this moment in our time. And I think C.S. Lewis is maybe the wisest, for me, one of the wisest men that ever lived, you know, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talks about free will. 
right, in which we have in this country, at least we still have it. But in this time where, you know, some people are, you know, saying governors are doing a power grab or governors aren't doing enough. Uh, C.S. Lewis makes this point. Free will, though it makes it, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. And I thought that was really profound. It is. And because, and obviously from a Christian perspective, and Christianity is all about um, free will. It's not like you believe in me or uh, you will be scourged in, or I'm talking about on earth, like when, when we're living. There's, God doesn't force us to have a relationship with him. We have to make that choice, and that's free will. And with free will, um, we also have bad things happen, murder. People make awful decisions, choices, uh, devastating choices. But also with free will, the good so far, in my opinion, outweighs the bad that I couldn't imagine living a life without freedom or slash free will. And we're grateful. I'm grateful to live in a country that promotes that, at least for the most part. Yeah, but I hope we, we always as, do. And, and as but as we enter a, a challenging time, um, our free will is that we have to be responsible especially to those that are, are most vulnerable during this difficult time of COVID-19. But I don't want to give up freedoms, but I'm going to take my freedom and apply it responsibly. I think that's well said. I think that's very well said. Um, my uh, verse that jumped out at me today reading in Romans 12 was uh, Romans 12, 12. Uh, be patient, be, excuse me, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Uh, I believe strongly prayer is the battle. That's how we, that's where I should start. <laughs> Whenever I have something that uh, I'm concerned about, unfortunately, it's a bad description of my faith and devotion that prayer is usually where I go when I'm out of options instead of going there when I am starting the process of how do I get through this situation or what can I do about this situation? How can I lend help? Um, so remember prayer. And I just like to say, this is a, this is a tough time for a lot of people. And I, sometimes we don't recognize our, our blessings because they don't feel like a blessing at the time. You know, I lost my mom coming up on two years ago mm -hmm. and when my dad died about a year before uh, my mom died, my mo I was thinking my mom might, you know, rally and discover her after, after you know, she got over the grief. I thought, you know, she might, she might have a nice little, you know, six, eight, ten-year run here where she, you know, kind of spreads her wings and buddies up to some people at the, at the nursing home. And, you know, I could see where she could find a new purpose in her life. And, and it just didn't happen. And um, I was sad about that. As I look back now, I'm so grateful God took her when he did because she struggled with uh, cognitive abilities. 
you'd go see her and she'd be like, why haven't you come to see me? I'm like, mom, I was here yesterday. You know, just, <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that yeah. kind of stuff. That's hard. You know, your, your mother-in-law, I think is, is battling some of that. Yeah. Um, I'm right now have a friend whose father was in the hospital and now he's been transitioned back to the nursing home. And I think that's his situation. And so, you know, my, the verse I read was, uh, be faithful in prayer. Let's not forget people who want to go see their folks who are in nursing homes and can't. Uh, yeah. It's a real Great heartache. Point. A friend of mine, a pastor in Hilliard, his mom was 90. She just passed away in Seattle. He couldn't go and see her while she was um, transitioning toward the next life. Just That's just something you think, well, I, I, everything's good in my life. I don't really know who to pray for. Pray for the people who can't go see people they love right now and pray for the people who are mentally not quite cognitive enough to understand what COVID-19 is and why their kids can't come to see them and stuff like that. It's just an opportunity to show some compassion for people who may be struggling uh, with the heartache of not being able to see the people that they love. Great thought. Yeah, that's a really great thought. And one that, you know, in my case, my mother-in-law, Fortunately, my sister-in-law was able to, to move her in temporarily out of the nursing home, but she doesn't know why she's uh, not living at, at the nursing home. Right. And and, if, and I pray for the caretakers like, like my sister-in-law who, you know, wake up every day, and I know you've experienced this, where when we deal with folks like that, and I've dealt with it on a smaller level that the best piece of advice I got when you're dealing with, with folks like your mom or my mother-in-law is that you have to have the patience to deal with it because it can get exhausting. I'm assuming. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, and you also have to be, have the willingness to constantly every single day meet them where they are. That's the advice a doctor told me when I was dealing with my mother-in-law that, you know, I, I, how should I handle this? And wherever she is, meet her where she is, you know? And when she asked about one of my kids, when I'm with her, you know, she might think that, you know, Noah still is playing for up Arlington mm-hmm. or I said, well, yeah, he did play for Upper Arlington, and then he went to school at Wheaton College. You remember? And then she, oh yeah, and or like when she asked if Noah was uh, playing for the Minnesota Vikings, because she gets Noah and Rick and everybody. Yeah, and Noah worked there, of, right? Yeah, and, and so I, so what what I learned throughout this process. And I wasn't patient at first, and I'm ashamed of myself at times because I would get frustrated, right? But once once I educated myself on how to deal with it, it became much better. But I, I sit there and marvel at Dr. Bill Fitz, who at Orthopedic One, mm-hmm. and his wife Sue, uh, who's the oldest sister that Stephanie had. But I marvel and admire. Uh, <laughs> the love of a parent and their willingness, the patience in the love that they show her. I hope my kids do that if I'm ever in that position, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, as you, Bruce, I mean, you, your, your family lived it and you know that it can be very challenging that for the caretakers yeah. at times too. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and a very, you know, like 
you just got to have that. Pray for that. For me, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I had always, and I got it, the patience and the understanding and to constantly be reminded in my mind that I wanted to meet her where she was that day, you know? Yeah. So, well said. Well said. Yeah. So compassion is uh, there for us in all avenues right now. You know, you can look around and see people who need compassion and um, we hope you'll find someone like that. You may not know the exact same, have the exact same situation in your life, but a lot of hurting people right now, a lot of people that are yeah. fearful and, you know, we hope that uh, uh, our podcast inspires you to be compassionate, to be kind and um, we appreciate you guys listening very much. So we'll be back Monday. Transitioning a week from today, we'll be talking about be a first at, uh, round of the draft. I, I might be at Holy Manor Monday. I'm thinking about it. If you know, if I go from my garage to your garage and with social distance, or, or I'll let you make that executive decision. All right. We'll think about that. That's okay. uh, it'd be great to see you again. Yeah, my cat's Hinterland. hungry. My Here cat's hu- my cat's hungry. He wants to gnaw on your leg. <laughs> yeah, that cat, man, that <laughs> demon cat. <laughs> Have a great weekend, Spiels. Everybody else have a great weekend. Don't forget to go to eBay and find that Big Ten championship ring. Uh, Find someone you know if you say, well, I can't afford that, Bruce. Okay, I understand it, but you might know somebody who can. Uh, Get them to bid. We want to get to $40,000 and uh, continue our COVID-19 relief. Congrats to the winners. Get those nominations in. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday here on the We Tackle Life podcast. 